Morning, church. All right. Leah mentioned that we're going to be talking about glory and sufficiency. These are going to be some things we see come up today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, as we're continuing on in our, got our sermon series through the letters to the churches at church in Corinth. Um, and so we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up there. If not, it'll be on the screen. It is very bright from this vantage point, so if you see me stop, there's like little purple spots, that's, you'll know why. Well, I've got mine in my coat if I need them, but I'm, I don't think I'm that cool to preach with sunglasses, so. Here we go, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 1, let's hear the word of the Lord. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, a letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if the glory was in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil refrains up unlifted. Sorry, let me try verse 14 again. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord in the Spirit, and where the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time we've had to be here and to be in your word. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, hear your word proclaimed today, that you would just put me aside and that it be your words, uh, that, that you be honored and you be glorified through the proclamation of your word. And Father, we pray that as we, we hear it, that, that we would be 
challenged and convicted by it, that you would um, move in us to respond appropriately um, to what you would have us do as we hear your word. Father, we pray that as you, you give us the truth through the gospel and through the word, that you would just continue to allow us to then carry that truth to others as well. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, two common things we see here are covenant and glory, right? And we see that a lot. In this passage, Paul's comparing the old covenant, the old Mosaic covenant, the old law, right, to the new covenant, life in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he's also comparing the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant, ultimately showing us that the new covenant is better and more glorious than the old covenant. Now, the thing we got to kind of stop and ponder here a second is, is that the fact that God relates to mankind through covenant and has throughout all of the Bible, right? God initiates these covenants. He initiated a covenant with Noah, right? Build an ark and I'm going to save you and your family. Then he initiated a, a covenant through Abraham. All right, I want you to get up and leave the land of Ur and move and I'm going to tell you where to go and you're going to have a son and you're going to be the father of great nations, And then he had the covenant with Moses, takes him up on the mountain. God carves into um, tablets of stone the words of the law. And and God does all of these. He initiates all of these covenants, and they're sealed in love, right? And the central focus of all of these covenants is, you will be my people and I will be your God, right? And Paul begins this section of scriptures, he's writing here, he, he begins this making it clear that he's an apostle. This is something that, that Paul's been combating in the church at Corinth for a while. There, there are folks who are, who are there opposed to him, claiming he's not genuinely an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, no, I am. And, and here's why. You can look at the, the ministry that's happened here. And he asks these couple of rhetorical questions to begin out, right? And, and about his credentials, right? Are we be, beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you a little pauline snark as we're as we're kind of seeing some of that right and and he's expecting the answers to be no for both of these because the changed lives of the corinthian believers through jesus christ are their letter or of certificate that people should need to know of paul's of proof of paul's legitimacy as an apostle Right? It was him that preached the gospel to them. And it was through his ministry that the Spirit brought these Corinthians to Christ. That's letter enough about who he is. That should be proof enough for them to say, yes, he is called to do this ministry. And in verse 3, we see that Paul is starting to compare and contrast the old covenant and the new, of the law and the new covenant in Christ. And we're reminded that God wrote the old covenant himself on those stone tablets way back, right? Um, the new covenant in Christ is written by God on the hearts of those who repent and believe. And there's, Paul's going to use that difference here to, to show us some things, right? And, and what he says here is about this, this idea of sufficiency, such as the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
What Paul's getting at here is that this is all about God's sufficiency in the lives of his people. Right? Moses wasn't sufficient to do what God had called him to do. Noah, in that covenant, was not necessarily sufficient to do what God had called him to do. Abraham, in his own power, was not sufficient to do what God had called him to do. Any of the Old Testament prophets that we read about, none of them are really sufficient to do what God had called them to do. Paul himself was not sufficient to do what God had called him to do. As we see this, what it does is it tells us that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not sufficient to do what God is calling us to do. When we are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, that's, that's not our sufficiency doing that. Just like Moses, just like the prophets, just like Paul, we are made sufficient by God's grace in our lives. And knowing where our sufficiency comes from is an important part of our growth in Christ. See, we're hardwired to believe that, that we're supposed to be self-sufficient. We're, we're hardwired to believe in our own self-sufficiency. Our desire is to make it on our own. Right? I don't need no help. Right? I, I'm, I'm reminded there's a little video of a little like two-year-old girl in the back seat of a car trying to put on her, on her seatbelt. Dad keeps asking, do you want help? And she keeps telling him, mind your business. Mind your own business. And she, she can't seem to get her seatbelt snapped and fastened. Dad says, honey, do you want help? Mind your own business, she keeps telling him. We're the same way. We're sitting in the back of that car thinking we've got it all done, telling God to mind his own business. And that's dangerous in our lives. See, our desire is to try to make it on our own. We don't want that help, especially when it comes to our acceptance before God. We want to show God, like that little two-year-old girl, that we're big boys and girls, and we can do it on our own, and God's laughing at us the whole time knowing that we're not. We need Him. See, our confidence that we have through Christ for God, that confidence is always going to remain rocky at best as long as we hold on to our tendency and our desire to be self-sufficient. And it's really counterintuitive. It seems really counterintuitive and it feels counterintuitive. Like the more we entrust ourselves to the Lord through our weakness, right, that's when the true strength and true life are going to bloom and grow in us. Our confidence and our sufficiency does not come from within us. It's not something we have inside of us, but it comes from outside of us. It comes from God who in Christ is drawn near to sinners and now indwells us by his spirit. And that's, what's, that's our sufficiency comes. And then Paul says, continuing in that, that last little bit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now this is, this is weird. It feels a little weird here. I'm talking about the law of God. Now this doesn't mean that the law is bad. As a matter of fact, Paul in his letter to the Romans, you look at, at chapter 2, verse 29 of Romans, you look at uh, chapter 7, verse 6 of Romans, they tell us that the law is good, but the law was not sufficient for salvation. And this is what Paul's driving at here. As good as the law is, it does not bring the same eternal life that the Spirit brings through Jesus Christ. The letter or the law kills, right? Because it proclaims God's will, but does not give us the power to keep God's will. 
The law brings judgment on God's people as covenant breakers. The Spirit, on the other hand, gives life because only the Spirit can change the heart. When the Spirit changes the heart, it is then the Spirit working in you, giving you the ability to keep God's commands. And even though Paul refers to the law as the ministry of death, we know that the law is not bad. Right? And there's some things that Paul hints at here that, that remind us that the law is not bad. The fact that God himself carved the stone tablets, right? he put the law on the stone tablets, shows that it's permanent value. Paul calls the law the ministry of death because Israel remained so stiff-necked toward the Lord and his word. The commandments themselves did not give the people the power to obey the commandments. It was something they couldn't attain on their own. The giving of the law brought so much glory, though, that the Israelites could not look on the face of Moses because God's glory was on him, and it was just simply too intense. God's glory was so bright coming off Moses' face that it scared the people of Israel to look at Moses. I've, I, the only time I think I've ever seen something so bright that it scared me what was one time we were on an interstate and a car spun in front of us. And those headlights looking on at me at 70 mile an hour was bright and scary. But that was a fleeting moment of scared. Right? The guy got off, he got the car corrected. What, I'm not sure what happened, but everything turned out okay. These folks were petrified to look on their leader. They were scared. Moses had to cover himself so that he could interact with his own people because of God's glory. And what we see here is, is that as amazing and as great as that glory was, that the glory through the new covenant in Christ is even greater and even more amazing. The old covenant was temporary and it was ineffective at changing hearts. In the new covenant in Christ, the Spirit indwells God's people and changes their hearts, changes their lives. The new covenant in Christ brings, brings righteousness the old covenant could not bring. And it also brings the glorious presence of God's power in the lives of believers, sanctifying God's people in a way that the old covenant could not. Verses 10 and 11. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what has been brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. See, the old covenant was the focus of God's self-displayed presence or his self-displayed glory. But that was in the past. Now with Christ and in the new covenant, the old covenant no longer has glory. This is not how God is revealing himself anymore. The new covenant through Christ is a permanent everlasting covenant that persists even into the age to come. That This new covenant will continue on with us into heaven. This, this hope in the new covenant and this hope in what Christ has done for us gives us a boldness that Moses did not have. Moses veiled or hid or covered his face when God 
gave him the law because the glory was so intense. But Moses didn't keep his face hidden for the remainder of his life. That glory eventually faded. The glory of the new covenant will never fade. It is eternal. And despite Paul's and the other apostles' boldness in proclaiming the truth of Christ, the people of Israel were still stiff-necked and they were still hard-headed. They rejected the law. They rejected the prophets. And this is keeping them from recognizing the old covenant and the fact that the old covenant then points to the new covenant. See, when the Spirit brings us to Christ through the hearing of the gospel, our eyes are opened and we have had our hardened, our hard-heartedness, sorry, our hard-heartedness removed. And this is one of the benefits of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that, that He opens our eyes to understanding Scripture and he, he opens our eyes to understanding our relationship with God. So the Spirit opens our eyes to see the depth of our sin and the Spirit opens our eyes to see the need of God's grace in our lives. It is by the Spirit our eyes are open to know and to love God. And we experience the new covenant in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the new covenant in Christ brings us freedom. Salvation in Christ brings us freedom that no earthly government could ever guarantee. Salvation in Christ brings freedoms that can never be taken away. And we know that to unbelievers, a life in Christ may not look like freedom. But a life independent of Christ is slavery. It's slavery to the flesh. It's slavery to sin. It is slavery that leads to death and eternal death. But see, in Christ, you are free. You are free from eternal condemnation. You are free from guilt. You are free from sin. You are free from death. A life in Christ gives us the freedom to have access to the loving presence of our God. See, in Christ, we're being transformed. We are being made into the same image of God that was distorted by the fall. Let's look at what, he, what he's saying here in, in 17 and, and 18 here. Right? Now that the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That when Adam and Eve sinned back in the garden, they were still made in the image of God, but they had now marred the image of God. Right? The fall didn't obliterate the image of God in mankind, but it marred it. It left scars on what that means. And the Spirit is working in our lives and working in the lives of believers to restore the image of God as it was at creation. To be made like that again. To be made perfect and whole. See, the Spirit is changing not just, not just our, our physical well-beings. We're not going to be just in the resurrection having those new resurrection bodies that are made that way. But the Spirit is changing our moral character. 
The Spirit is changing our knowledge. The Spirit is changing our abilities to be more like God. The Spirit is making us more dependent on God. And in Christ, we're being restored. See, when we are given our resurrection bodies, our restoration will be complete. That, that there will no longer be a mar in the image of God for mankind. That humans will be made right before him for those who, who believe and repent and are open to that. So what does that mean for us today? Honestly, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this may not have a whole lot of meaning for you today. But I want you to know this, that, that we, we are people who selfishly insist on doing things our own way rather than doing things God's way. We are living in the consequences of that sin right now. And we are separated from God because of our sin. We are separated from him here on earth and we are separated from him in eternity. But there is some good news about this. That Jesus himself is that good news, that Jesus is the remedy for our sin, that, that God's love is so great that he does not want to leave us in our broken, sinful state. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to become a follower of Jesus. I want you to call out to God, asking him to forgive you of your sin that is against him, I want you to, to call out to him and, and ask to be changed by the Spirit in your life. And if this seems daunting, I understand that. And then I encourage you to talk to me. Talk to Brother Chris about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If, if you're watching online and you want to know more about following Jesus, leave us a message, drop us a comment, send us an email at office at calvaryheights.org. We want to have that conversation with you about knowing Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to think about this. I want you to trade your self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. I don't know, that sounds a little weird here. I want you to trade your self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. I want you to, to just say, I can't do it, but God can do it through me. I want you to say to God, I know I can't do it. I want you to do it through me. And watch how your life changes. Watch how the glory of God around you grows. Watch how the Spirit moves in your life. I want you to embrace the freedoms that, that come with living in the new covenant of Christ. I want you to embrace that idea of being free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from sin. I, I want you to, to embrace being free from death. I want you to embrace the freedom of having access to the loving presence of God who created you. And then I want you to share that freedom. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Have the boldness to live a spirit-filled life that shows the glory of Christ to others around you. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the day you've given to us. We thank you for this word. Father, for believers, we pray that you would give us the boldness to live that spirit-filled life that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who need to hear it. 
Father, for those who maybe don't know Christ, who are listening online or wherever they may be at, we pray that, that you would really work in their lives, draw them close to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just move and make them desire to want to know Jesus Christ. Father, for us as a congregation, I pray that as we, we pray and ask you for this boldness, this, this idea to shed our own self-sufficiency and to lean and rely on you, I pray, Lord, that as we do that, there would be real change come in our lives, a change that is for your glory and for your sake, a change that, that brings monumental change to us all personally as well as change for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community. Father, we ask these things.